I'm Fathery. I'm Anna. This is Dave. This is Trent. And this is Text Trek. Engage. aboard the Starship Texas for the 59th installment of the Text Trek podcast. And tonight we are going to be talking about Star Trek Discovery Season 2, Episode 7, Light and Shadows. Written it's the Spock episode. Yep. They stopped <laughs> yeah, Spock teasing. Sorry, Finally, I didn't mean to interrupt the, your thing, but it's the Spock episode. That's They took forever to get there. The Spock teasing can stop. <laughs> I, I, thought, I thought we were going to get Spock blocked hey. right, right before they, they showed him for the first time, but it didn't happen. Nope. We, how how we was I aware that they were using that terminology? Yeah, we have, we have full-blown Spock out and about. This episode was called Light and Shadows. It was written by Ted Sullivan, based on a story by Ted Sullivan and Vaughn Wilmot. And directed by Marta Cunningham. Marta Cunningham, by the way, happens to be the wife of James Frain, who plays Sarek on Star Trek Discovery. Oh, interesting. So it's in the family form. Yeah, and it's really cool because in this episode, she has to direct a uh, woman having an argument with her husband <laughs> as like as like. You think she was like, really husband. let him have it. Really, just... Yeah, well... His arguments are crap. <laughs> You you would think that you know she would be like the authority on like arguing with him as, yeah, as yeah. wife to husband. That's pretty so cool. It's that's very... probably the best direction you can get. <laughs> uh, but we do have Anna on board for the the first time making her text truck debut. So Anna, whenever we have a new guest, we do like to, if if time allows, just to ask, uh, how did you get into Star Trek? What is your relationship with the franchise? Well. It was 1953. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, just watching it with my dad when I was a kid. Um, it was like right in that time period where TNG and Voyager and DS9 were all on. Oh, wow. Um, the, and so basically it was on the TV. The golden age. Yeah. So. The 90s. Did y'all watch all, all three of them or just like certain ones? Um, my dad tried to tune into at least an episode here and there of every single one of them. But okay. Not like religiously. Okay. So. And did you like it right from the get-go, or was it like, you know, there's a family thing and it's just kind of fun to do? I mean, kind of. I was also like an eight-year-old, and I can't think of anything less exciting than people sitting in a room talking to one another, <laughs> even if there are lasers and stuff. But, like, as I grew up, it was something I appreciated more. Yeah, yeah. Did you have any, like, favorite shows or favorite characters that really stood out to you? Uh, Worf, he was large. And Janeway, <laughs> she was a chick, so... Just sort of, those are the things that stick out to you when you're an eight-year-old, I guess. Anna, you'd like, just like, you marathon disco. You, yeah. You, you were not, like, keeping up with it before, and then you just, like, mm. bam, like, knocked it out after watching it at the store uh, a little bit, and then, like, jumping in on it. Yeah, um, like, one of the, the other 
guys up at the store basically put the was like that's Rogue's Gallery comics it? and games, by the way. Shameless plug. Shameless plug. He was like, you haven't watched it, I can't believe this. Uh, we're watching it now. And thankfully it was kind of a rainy day, so it was slow, and I plowed through like five episodes, and then immediately went home and paid for the subscription. Very awesome. Trent? Good to be back. Uh, it's been like a year or two since I yeah. think I've been on. I can't even this, remember the last time. This is your fourth appearance. Yeah, I think you, so. You talked uh, Encounter at Farpoint with us. Yeah, you and talked, yeah, a little bit of DS9. Yeah, Emissary. Yeah, Emissary. And then you you also showed up in season one of Discovery when we were doing uh, Magic to Make the Sanest Man That's Grow right, Mad. Yeah. So whenever we have a temporal anomaly episode this, on I'm Discovery. The resident yeah. uh, temporal expert, I think. Yeah. They've been doing a lot of, like, time stuff. A lot of timey-wimey episodes lately. Like, um... Father loves those episodes. Yeah, I do. I'm a sucker for the temporal anomalies. Yeah. <laughs> well, we all know. <laughs> no, but yeah, I, I've, uh... Pretty much every time there's a temporal thing, that I, I just show up. They, um... Are, are you a fan of Star Trek's, like, time travel? Yeah. Um, I, I feel like they might do it a little bit too much. Like, um... What was it? The episode we were just watching, the season two of TOS. Um, oh, Assignment Earth. Yeah, where it's just. By the way, we we went back in time, and it's <laughs> like that's, that's the only time they ever say that, though. Like no. we just went back in time. That's that's, that's what we do. That's like, for for those who don't know. That's the Gary Seven episode of the original series that was written to be a backdoor pilot for a potential TV show. So they yeah they didn't really explain what the Enterprise was doing back in time and the <laughs> what would have been the setting for this potential show that never got made but yeah but um so yeah they they do it often but usually I, I enjoy it they're pretty good at it yeah but we're just gonna go down the line and give our general thoughts on this episode everyone can give a brief opening statement we'll avoid spoilers and then we'll go into more detail uh. I'll I'll go ahead and go first, and you know my my general thoughts on this episode. It reminds me a lot of the third episode of the season, Point of Light, in that it felt very much like what me and Dave described as a uh, housekeeping episode. Uh, this episode had to move certain plot lines forward and set up stuff that we'll be seeing in the second half of the season. I kind of feel like this episode was also written with the idea in the back of their heads that this could possibly be a mid-season finale hmm. in that we we do finally have the payoff of, of Spock, but they, they wanted us to um, still be hungry for more, to, to still want some of the, the mysteries solved of uh, what exactly is going on with Spock, uh, what's the deal with the Red Angel. So it, it, it feels like it's just kind of like your, your middle of the season episode. We just had like a big event last week with Saru's people on Kaminar, and this was more of instead of uh, focusing on a major plot point in the season arc, it was just more setting things up for the rest of the season. But overall, I, I did like it. Um, and there were a couple things that bugged me that we'll get into later, but that's all I got. Anna, is it, is it some dumb continuity stuff? We'll we'll find out. Okay. <laughs> Anna, what do you got? Um, I thought like. There are some fun character moments in it, and as a whole, I did like it. Um, but like you were saying, it felt like a lot of like just opening up of new pathways for them to explore. Um, though I didn't really feel like it was a mid-season finale. In fact, I felt more like last week's was the finale, and this was like, we're getting back into it. Because you have stuff with like, you know, like 
Tilly being adorable and like some <laughs> of the just character introductions where they were Hashtag sort of like, silly for Tilly. <laughs> reminder, these people exist and this is their personality. And so I felt like there was a lot of like almost baby stepping, I guess, with certain things. They definitely, in the opening, like, five minutes, they did a complete recap of things. Mm -hmm. It was, like, without doing a previously on. Yeah. I liked that, though, because instead of doing the previously on recap, they just, in they incorporated it into the episode with, with Burnham's uh, log entry. I, I would like them if they could just do that every episode instead of doing a previously on recap that exists outside of the episode. I sort of agree, although if you watch them all at, at once, it may be a little... You know, exposition might get a little heavy-handed. Like that. whenever you're reading a Green Lantern comic and they all start off with like... Hal, I'm, as you remember... <laughs> it was just like, I'm Hal Jordan. I'm Green Lantern of Sector 2814. It's like, if you're like reading a bunch of issues, like they all start off like right. that. Right, it's supposed to be like every chapter of the book reminding you that. Mm -hmm. um, did you, but uh, did you have a good time with the episode? Yeah, I thought it was fun. I mean, I always like Pike. I think he's excellent. Mm -hmm. Every time Anson mounts on the TV show, I'm super stoked. Um... Nothing to, like, complain about, aside from just my general pet peeve. But also not like, yeah! Yeah, it wasn't like... Did like... we all like the, the Saru episode prior to this yes. pretty, oh, pretty yeah. well? Yeah, That was, a, that was a very standalone, potent, like, one-off kind of episode. In fact, that's kind of why I was almost a little bit let down by this mm -hmm. one. Because I was expecting, like, huge momentum coming from the last episode into this. Right, right. And just, it's sort of like, momentum just... <laughs> right, right. Um... I think I like this episode notably more than the previous housekeeping one, and I'm not I'm not 100% sure why. Maybe we'll process it during the course of talking about it. Uh, I think in some ways I was, like, a little bit dazzled by, like, to me it was just exciting to see Vulcan f fully realized so visually, which, mm -hmm. you know, previously existed as, like, nice matte paintings, occasional, I think, CG shots in, in previous ones, but this was this was a really, really nice use of special effects on that. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I was generally, I was into the mystery and stuff and the Pike and the, the buddy comedy starring Pike and Ash Tyler. I loved that. Ash Tyler? Is that right? Or, yeah. Yeah. Okay. For some reason it didn't sound right. Um, uh, so yeah, a, a, yeah, a little hit and miss as far as like being unfocused maybe. And, you know, as, as we've talked about often, I prefer standalone episodes or mostly standalone episodes, but, uh, I think I enjoyed, uh, I enjoyed just about everything in it. Yeah. I think I liked the uh, the buddy cop part of it more than uh, the, I guess the Burnham focused stuff. Um, mm -hmm. I I think that uh, whenever they shove two very different personalities into a shuttle, that usually <laughs> makes for a good episode. That's interesting. Um, yeah. Like the Picard, Wesley. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, or a, they, a Bashir O'Brien kind of thing. Yep. Like, um, so I thought that it, that's pretty much a, a fail safe kind of formula. Yeah, um, interesting point. I will say they did that poorly on Enterprise with uh, the characters Trip and Malcolm in the season one episode Shuttle Pod One, mm. and I know like a lot of people really like that episode, but uh, I hated it in two thousand one. I hate it in two thousand nineteen. Yeah, not every not every crammed in a shuttle yeah. episode can be a Usually, winner, but it, though, I think yeah. I think you make a good point that it's kind of a fun formula. Yeah, it's a bit of a trek thing to, to put some disparate personalities together. Yeah. I thought that that stuff worked a little bit more than the Michael Burnham Spock stuff personally. Um, it's not an episode I think I'm going to be like really excited about when I go back and watch, but it, I think it was solid. Out of curiosity, is anybody like, I, I, I don't feel too concerned with the Burnham Spock relationship. Like it hasn't drawn me in no. somehow. You're not curious to see what she did to drive the wedge between them as I children. liked it better when we thought it might've happened later and we thought they might've had a relationship. That no, that exciting. was terrible. That was sexy time. That was you wanted them to be like Lannisters from Game of Thrones. 
They were not related. <laughs> I mean, but like they grew up in the same house. It would still be yeah. weird. It, it, Woody Allen would, did that and there's nothing weird about him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, there's lots, lots weird about Woody Allen, but that's that's for a different podcast. All right. Now, um, I, yeah, I, I guess I guess I won't know that until I get the answer. But right now I'm not like, I'm really looking to hear that one. Where, where I'm at is I like the family drama in the, the house of Sarek. Mm-hmm. But I'm not that curious about Spock specifically. Or uh, I, I didn't mind all the episodes where they were just teasing Spock and not actually mm-hmm. showing him. Because we've had so many episodes with Spock, and at this point I'm so focused on the Discovery characters. I right, don't, we I don't, don't need Spock on the show. We already talked about the the risk that Pike could kind of overwhelm the show because he's a really charismatic mm. personality. If Spock was, like, there too long, you know, that runs the risk too. Luckily in this <laughs> he's just speaking gibberish. They also run the risk of doing something, like, too weird with Spock or something that just, like, really bothers me and... and Ruins the character. I, I don't <laughs> Spock in his stoner days. <laughs> yep. I don't. I don't think I have too much to worry about. But there's there is some risk there. Let me ask this: What would you consider the A story and the B story of this episode? Is Pike and Tyler on the mm. shuttle? Is that the A story, or, or is Burnham and Spock the A story, or is it a double B? I mean, is that like a brawl size? I think. Uh, yeah. yeah. In the future. Um, Honestly, I think the shuttle, just because that's dealing directly with Red Angel stuff, and like the idea of the like... The captain could die. Like, yeah. also, like, yeah, the, the stakes are pretty high, so it's it's got like the Section 31 Discovery drama as these two butt heads, and like, I don't know, it's dealing with something that I think will span the entirety of the series, rather than just something that has been a focus of a couple episodes in a row. I would say that the Burnham Spock stuff also has a lot of that with you know, that's continuing the investigation of the Red Angels. That's why they're after Spock. That's but, fair. But it's less concrete. It's like, we well, don't know how what his role is going to be. Right now, he's just like this kind of nebulous thing. Well, the, the shuttle story, that has a self-contained beginning, middle, and end narrative. Yeah. Right, and episode. there is a character arc in that. Yeah, and... and First, that... they don't like each other, and then they're married at the end. <laughs> I, I agree with Trent, though. That was my favorite part of the episode. Are, are we all in agreement that we liked that more than the Burnham-Spock stuff? I think so. I was honestly a little bit more into the visuals on Vulcan than the character <laughs> stuff. Well, uh, I'm going to go ahead and go into the warp speed summary. All so right, yeah. you've been warned there's going to be spoilers throughout the uh, remaining podcast. And I'm I'm not really sure how to summarize these two largely unrelated uh, storylines in this episode. Yeah, good luck, Father. So we're just gonna we're just gonna toggle back and forth between both of them. But uh, warp speed summary starting now. Hit it. So Michael Burnham heads off to Vulcan to check on her family and look for Spock, while Pike and the Disco crew stay in orbit of Kaminar to investigate the scene after the Red Angel appeared there last week. It left behind traces of residual decay that the ship has been tasked with analyzing. Before they get too far, a temporal rift opens in space. They can't get too close to it and are unable to launch a probe as they can't get a target lock. So Pike loads the probe onto a shuttle that he can pilot closer to the rift himself. He brings along his least favorite person on the ship, Section 31 Agent Tyler. The shuttle is able to get closer, but does encounter some temporal anomalies, including Pike seeing a vision of himself shooting a phaser at Tyler. A glimpse at the future, maybe? 
Pike chooses to keep the troubling premonition to himself. They launch the probe from the shuttle into the rift, but this causes a temporal shockwave and the shuttle disappears into the rift. Saru commands the crew to begin a rescue mission, as they only have five hours to rescue Pike and Tyler before they are killed by radiation. Good thing Stamets is still on board. His tardigrade DNA makes him immune to the effects of timey-wimey temporal anomalies. The crew gets to work on figuring out a solution. But let's check in on Mickey B. Burnham returns home to Planet Vulcan and goes to Sarek and Amanda's house, where she grew up. She is hoping Amanda might have some info on where her foster brother is. Amanda is still a little bitter at Michael and unsure if she can be trusted around Spock. Remember a few episodes ago, Burnham confessed that she intentionally drove a wedge between herself and Spock when they were children, and the family has never been the same since. Amanda is worried about Spock being accused of crimes she feels he could not have possibly committed. But Burnham assures her foster mother that she only wants what's best for Spock. After Amanda is convinced, she takes Burnham to the Katra crypt. Amanda has been hiding Spock there for two days. We finally get to see adult Spock on the show, but he's not quite himself. He seems out of his mind, mumbling Vulcan logic doctrines and Alice in Wonderland quotes, while ignoring everyone around him. He's also repeating a series of numbers again and again. 841947. 841947. One more time. 841947. Thank you. But Sarek shows up. I guess he followed them there. And we learn that Amanda was hiding Spock from Sarek because she feared he would turn their son over to the authorities. Sarek says that Spock needs to be turned over as he's the only key to the Federation figuring out the mystery of the Red Angel and the Red Bursts. He also says that Michael must turn him over to Section 31 as he doesn't want to see her defy Starfleet orders again after what happened in Season 1. He's not prepared to lose both of their children on the same day. But meanwhile, back in orbit of Kaminar, Tyler and Pike are still in the shuttle swirling around in the temporal rift when suddenly the shuttle is struck by the probe they launched. Turns out the probe traveled 500 years into the future, got modified by someone with future technology, and then sent back to them. And it ain't no normal probe anymore. It grows mechanical tentacles and attacks their shuttle, like a scary squid robot that breaks through the shuttle's hull with Dr. Octopus-esque robot arms. It attacks Tyler with these metal tentacles. And as one of them is wrapped around Tyler, Pike picks up a phaser. He realizes this is the vision he saw earlier. He shoots the phaser at the mechanical arm, releasing Tyler from it, but then the tentacle attacks the shuttle's computer console and tries to hack the Discovery's computer systems. Luckily, Stamets is able to beam aboard the shuttle. He uses his temporal immunity to pilot the shuttle out of the rift. Tyler, Pike, and Stamets beam off the shuttle and set it to self-destruct to stop the probe's attack on their computer. However, the probe seems to have left something in the computers that has some type of effect on Arium, Discovery's cyborg crew member. 
More on that later. As for Burnham, she arrives at Leyland's Section 31 ship and turns over Spock, who is taken into medical custody. Leyland tells Burnham she needs to get off the ship, but not to worry, they'll take good care of Spock. Giorgio is there, however, and she informs Burnham that Section 31's procedure to extract the Red Angel information from Spock's brain will kill him. Burnham is reluctant to trust her, but ultimately she decides leaving Spock in Section 31's hands is not worth the risk. She grabs Spock, makes a run for the shuttle, and gets the hell out of there. Section 31 ships patrol an asteroid field searching for Burnham's shuttle. She evades them and has the computer search for anything relevant related to Spock's numbers in the reverse order. She figures out that he had reversed them in his kooky state. The computer lets us know that the numbers are coordinates for Talos 4. That's the setting of the original and unused Star Trek pilot, The Cage. Burnham sets a course for Talos 4 and roll credits. So just real quick, one thing that I think we need to bring up before we, we delve into anything else yep. is the the little setup they do towards the end of the episode where we see those three red circles that affected Arium. It looks like something like downloaded into her yep. robot brain. Yep. Doesn't that look like Brainiac's thing from yeah, Superman the Animated it was, Series? It was three red circles. So I'm, I'm guessing that was something Bruce Tim came up with when he was doing the animated series, but yeah. that was, that was the origin of, of Brainiac and DC comics, Superman villain, having the three circles as a logo. That'd be fair. I don't think they, there's a way to copyright three dots. No, um, no, like the no predator, I think also had like three dots when it targeted you. And anyway, but yes, it was a little bit, uh, it did remind me of that for sure. And clearly you as well, but yeah, don't, don't talk about copyright stuff. Cause then like the same people who think that discovery ripped off the tardigrade <laughs> video game are going <laughs> to, you're going to say that's ripping off, like, Superman cartoons right. now. Now they're ripping off the original series episode, The Cage. <laughs> yeah, we're having Talos 4 again. But, uh, so, I'm just going to throw out, like, a little theory I have here. Uh-oh. Is that, what if, whatever in the future sent, like, those three dots back in time through the probe into the computers, they got into Arium. Yeah. What if she is the Red Angel? Hmm. And I have, I have just something else. I'm like gonna... she's going to go and like build that suit based on the input from the future. Well, here, here's what I think that, and then I'm gonna, just going to throw it out to y'all and see what you think. The dots but... were red. <laughs> <laughs> she, she is played by a different actress this season. They, they recast Ariel. Oh. Yeah. And I'm wondering if, if there is a reason they did that. Maybe they, they wanted a different performance and, and needed a, a, a new actress. Huh. But I was not aware of that. You were aware of that. I didn't you, remember. You had it. forgotten. Yeah, whatever. But oh, uh, so <laughs> so what do the three of y'all think about this character who's had very few speaking lines that we know absolutely nothing about? What do you think about the the possibility of her being the Red Angel? Um, well, I think that the fact that she's had very few speaking lines thus far is probably why they recast her. Like in the first season, she basically was just like. Button Busher. Yeah, like she was a setting piece. And so I don't think there's possibly a connection, but I would be excited if she turned out to be the Red Angel because I've always thought she looked cool and I want to see more of her. 
Clearly, they're going to do something with her. I mean, they mm. left. Uh, they put enough in this episode, enough ominous shots of yeah. her this looking is a very heavy-handed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so, yeah, even if it's not the Red Angel, there's going to be something. Yeah, there, she's going to be the center of another episode, right? Or like in she, you know, from the information downloaded into her, begins gathering the stuff to make the suit that creates the Red Angel, and somebody else steps into it or something like that. I'm not super wild about it just in the sense that she is a sort of almost non-character at this point. So it's not a super potent reveal if it's just her. Um, so just on a dramatic level, I'm not sure if I'm in, super into it. But I can see where they could take it somewhere interesting. So I'm cautiously neutral. Cautiously neither optimistic, neutral. Neither optimistic yeah. nor pessimistic about but it. Cautious okay. about but cautious But cautious <laughs> nevertheless. Uh, I, I will say this. We learned at the beginning of the episode that Amanda taught... Burnham, that mysteries always come in sets of three. And like, we have three dots. I didn't like that line, actually. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was lame. That I was one of those. remember that line. You know, every episode, like a lot of genre shows begin, have narrators, like The Flash. I always think of it on the CW Flash show. You know, Barry Allen will say something like, uh, you know, my parents taught me that a, a good story is more important than, you know, uh, than standing up for, you know, yourself. And I'd be like, does some parent actually say these things? Did, does Amanda seem like a person who would actually say, like, things come in threes? What is that? My... Isn't she at least somewhat logical and not kind of random like yeah. that? What the hell are you talking so, about, So, So, like, it, it, what it works is that, like, it does build a thematic resonance. Like, so that, that it works on sort of a raw level. But I, I was not wild about that opening. Uh, just, it didn't quite sound like her. It sounded like we have discovered a arcing theme or a, like, a visual or, like, a, like a motif for the episode. It does make me wonder, like, what what are they setting up with that, though? But it also, like, because we know that this is a science faith season, you know, a trinity is certainly, like, as as religious an idea as you can get. Um, what I'm saying is the B, the dots were the Holy Trinity. <laughs> Obviously. So, so and by Holy Arium, Trinity, I mean Kirk Spock McCoy. So, so Ariel is oh, possessed man. by the, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Yes. And 500... That's, that's uh, like... The, the god of Abraham, 500 years in the future, sent the squid robot probe back in time <laughs> to like just, spread the gospel yeah. through a cyborg. Yeah, just call it a sentinel. That's what I'm doing. Right, right. It's, I it's assume a, it's a matrix. It came so from the no. matrix future. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. um, it was That was a cool thing, though. I, like, I've, I've seen that sort of happen in sci-fi concepts before where something gets radically changed, like devolved or evolved. And, like, the notion that it's, like, at first I was like, well, did it just go into the future and, like, futurize? But then why is a, why is a probe evil? There's been a lot of bad probes in Star Trek, to be fair. <laughs> From the whale probe to nomad to... To V'ger. V'ger. Yeah. Um, so, so really they should probably just stop launching probes, <laughs> is what I guess what I'm getting at. Uh, what were we talking about? <laughs> well, we oh, right, right. But so, so this one didn't just evolve and like become a futurized version of itself. It was like future and aggressive against them. Either if not evil, then it certainly had an agenda from the future. Mm -hmm. um, which I'm, I'm interested enough in that mystery. I thought that was kind of cool. They said 500 years, by the way. So that would be the 28th century. Okay, um, a thousand years was when the disco episode happened yeah. with, um, with craft, the, with the sentient craft. ship. Yeah. Calypso, the, the short trek episode. Right. Yeah. And I'm still, I'm still really thinking that that might end up tying in somehow, but, but with, with the probe coming from 500 years in the future, you know, we know that, uh, eventually we'll have the, the discovery computer become, uh, a, a self-aware mm -hmm. entity at some point in the future. 
We also know that the the Red Angel is from the future. They they've made that pretty clear that yes, it has to be future technology is the only explanation they have. So there there's got to be some connection between the Red Angel and what happened with the probe and Arium, and you would think possibly with the the ship also. And now somehow, Jeff, do we know who the the voice actress for the Discovery was in the short track? Uh, we do. I can't remember her name. It's not the same person who plays Arium, though. Okay, because so I was thinking that, like, maybe that there's some tie-in there, like, you know, yeah. android tied to the ship. The Star-, Star Trek YouTuber Kit Walski had that theory. But mm-hmm. I I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that the actresses are not the same. Okay. I think they would be real cautious about that because it would be such a quick way to tie it together and fans would catch it fast. In well, season... they also did change her voice actress, or sorry, her actor. <laughs> That's yeah. true. So I was going to say in season one they just invented an actor uh, for Voke, if you remember. What was his? What was the very real actor's name again? Well, Shazad Latif, who plays yeah. Tyler in yes. Vogue. Yeah. But yeah, then they had like a fake name in the oh. in the. They had the, a fake IMDb. It was insane. The credits, Anna. You didn't you didn't uh, watch this when it originally aired. You just watched, mm-hmm. watched it recently. Did yeah. you know that? Tyler was uh, Voke the Klingon all along, or was that a surprise to you? That one was a surprise to me. Okay. I mean, I was getting some weird vibes from that whole plot, and I wasn't a huge fan of it, so I wasn't trying to pay too much attention to it. But yeah, no, it, it completely took me by surprise. Because you, you mentioned to me that you were on to Lorca. Immediately. From the beginning. Immediately. Yeah, and we were all kind of suspicious of him, and mm-hmm. the, the Mirror Universe theories showed up pretty early. But yeah, the, the Voke one... Um, I, I think that was just people were wondering where is this actor who doesn't seem to exist. And then, yeah. They're like, oh, like he kind of looks like this Tyler guy. Like, I mean, it's hard to tell with the makeup, but mm-hmm. yeah, there was basically with a with a week between each episode, speculation ran rampant, and <laughs> yeah. eventually we got there. Just a real quick aside, I appreciated that Pike had talked to to Tyler specifically about the Vogue issue. You know, very specifically saying. Hey, that's still in you, or whatever, and you know what? What was it Tyler said about that? He just said like, uh, "Yeah, he's he, nothing you can we can do about it." Or yeah, whatever. he can't go away. Right? I, I can't get rid of him. Yeah, I can't and shake the, him. Was and then like yeah. Pike is like, uh, "Yeah, I know the feeling." Yeah. So yeah, you know, let's let's talk about the uh, the Pike Tyler relationship a little bit. How they have that dis- distrust. Or I, I, Pike distrusts Tyler. I don't know if he distrusts Pike, but there's the, like a lack of respect between the two of them. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, like this episode did have them uh, on an adventure, stuck in a shuttlecraft together. <laughs> and they they did go through an arc. So what, what does everyone think about that? They like tried to flip a switch at the same say, time. Like, They're like it's like a radio in, in yeah. a in a cop car. What if you know? what if they had like sensually touched? Just <laughs> like kind of like yeah. <laughs> what what would be the Pike Tyler ship? That would be the uh, a piler. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, sure. Let's yeah, just, yeah. just just say that. No one's stopping that. Oh man, that's out there now. Hashtag piler. <laughs> no, I liked the the development of Pike, or I liked kind of the the subconscious thing that they were developing. I guess with mm. the he set out of the war, so yeah. he um, he's looking for an adventure, looking to go headfirst into a battle. Did, did y'all um, get the vibe? Is he like suicidal? I don't think so. But this he is, was putting himself way at risk. Like, and I think that was that felt like it could be survivor's guilt. This is a mm-hmm. reaction to that scene last week when Tyler tells Pike, uh, 
you know, the, the war had a toll on those of us that actually fought in it. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's been, like, st- stuck in the back of his mind. And that's why he was so eager to, like, prove himself, like, hop in a shuttle. And this is this is just more of me loving Pike so much this season. But they don't even make him, like, this perfect, infallible captain. Like, they give him flaws, and I still like him, like, through the flaws. Mm-hmm. That's really good character writing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I liked that a lot. And then, and then he he uh, holds himself accountable at the end. He tells Tyler, he's like, "Yeah, I was wrong. I was just trying to like prove that, uh, you know, like I'm I'm not a coward. I'm not scared of danger. I, I wanted to show that to you, and I'm sorry I've been a jerk to you." And they they go through this little arc, and now they can get along better in future episodes. I mean, to be fair, I think Pike had good reason to distrust him. Killed a member of the disco crew. Klingon lurking the, like a like a their former enemies lurking around inside his psyche uh, and working for the dodgiest organization in Starfleet. Yeah, he hates Section Thirty One. He's not he probably be, doesn't like his hair either. <laughs> he, the the man clearly needs a haircut. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think my hair is a little longer than Tyler's. But, oh. um, well, I guess but, you could get away with that so, on the disco. <laughs> uh, but I love how he sees that that glimpse of the future him pulling a phaser out and shooting at tyler and then he doesn't say anything about it because i don't think i would either there you're right there's valid reasons not to trust right. tyler. you can't say hey just so you know there's a weird little temporal glitch there and i think i might shoot you a little later uh if you think the guy next to you might be traitorous it's not something to bring yeah up. no i i have visions of, of shooting you guys all the time <laughs> <to be honest. laughs> like the, the dude in office space <laughs> no but yeah and that's like cool little like temporal anomaly storytelling sci-fi stuff mm-hmm. that I love when they, they do this in Star Trek. Yeah, and this is another thing, special effects wise, all the little the ghosting images and stuff, you mm-hmm. know, they got the budget to make that look really cool now. I did think it was a little weird when Pike is throwing his or I'm sorry, when Tyler is throwing his black badge at yeah. Pike. But what was they, he what was he doing there? I didn't quite get it actually. He was he was just showing him. He's like, I'm section thirty one, Mofo, like He was um they were they were comparing size basically. <laughs> right. like, he's like, yeah, you owe this to me, and throws it in his yeah, lap, okay. and it's like, well, he's you like, know, I guess it's just not a typical thing I think of to throw your badge at someone. Usually, that's the uh, cop who gives up, uh, and like he's like uh, pissed at the, all the rules and regulations and the red tape, and he throws his badge down and walks out. But he was like, section thirty one, motherfucker. Yeah, and then and then Pike is like, yeah, but I got the fucking captain's chair, so your your black badge. <laughs> he was gonna have to shit. pick up that whole chair and like chunk that across the bridge. But they do that; they make that so like a little distinctive moment, yeah. so that when you see it like replayed in a few seconds later, you're like, oh yeah, those things just happened a few seconds ago. So. Yeah, uh, I did wonder like that if Pike had like a death wish or something going on. Really? Yeah, I that like like it's clearly clear. I mean, they they spelled out that he's doing this because he he has. Essentially, a sort of survivor's guilt. But the fact that they made this out to be such a kind of potentially dangerous thing, like, it felt like he was taking extra risks. Um, now, I don't think he's, like, suicidal, suicidal. But the thought flitted through my head. I actually don't think it's necessarily accurate. Um, well, we know that we know that Pike gets guilty. That was one of the things that they established during Pike's brief appearances in the original series. Right. Is that... Yeah, he, he gets guilty when his people under his command die, when right. fellow Starfleet officers die. By the way, they haven't cast the doctor who was like his side, you know, his his buddy, his... Dr. Uh, Broyce? But yeah, the, what would have been like the bones to his Kirk. Right. 
And I figure they probably left that out because it's too of much of an obvious McCoy-Kirk friendship comparison. Like, they'd rather have his friendship with number one played up. Uh, I, th- I think that was probably a good idea. But normally, yeah, he would be, like, turning to that guy for advice. At least that's what they seem to indicate in the Cage episode. Have you seen the Cage, by the way? No, I don't believe so. I, I you know, I've kind of had fun doing some homework episodes. Like, I, mm. uh, you know, I watched the episode Contagion so I could see what the, uh, what was the alien race? The Iconians. The Iconians, that at least there was some speculation that the Red Angel could be an Iconian. I think we can throw that out the window, though. I agree. But it was fun to go and catch yeah. it up on that. And I recommend, as your homework assignment, okay. The Cage, uh, just so you can see the original actor playing Pike, the original number one, and all that stuff. And some aliens we're clearly going to be seeing next week. I'm okay. going to ask that maybe we tweak that a little bit and instead recommend The Menagerie Parts 1 and 2. The canonical Which, use of it? Yes, because they use all the footage from the cage. They basically have, like, flashbacks to this episode that never aired. Okay. Um, it's, it's so kinda... that they could use the footage, even though it wasn't Kirk, that they were like... Don't they, like, make out, like, this is, like, footage from cameras yeah. and stuff? Well, even though it has close-ups. No, no, they just say it was, like, provided by the Telosians. They don't know how Spock gathered. Right, but they, like, framed right. it so beautifully, <laughs> right. you know? But there's, there's a, a reason... In art. There's exactly. a, there's there's a cinematographers of the mind. Why they did that. There's an explanation as to why... But we also see... You get to see, like, what happens to Pike. Like, like okay. the ending of, of the Pike story it's in those true. episodes. And it's so much more compelling now. Because I, I went back and I was re-watching some scenes from it last night. And mm-hmm. it, it means so much to me now. After I've had, like, the season of Star Trek Discovery to, to yeah. really begin to love this character. Mm-hmm. And I'll even say that the Pike in Discovery does feel very different from how he was on the original series where he was he was kind of gruff. He was uh, a, a misogynist. He's like, why are there women on the bridge? Because, you know, it was written in the 60s. Um, he was kind of a joyless captain. He was, in the story, he's having like a bad week. He just like lost a bunch of of uh, crew members on a on a mission that went yeah. poorly, but this guy is so different, and this just goes to what I've always said: if you're going to change something, I'm okay with it if you change it for the better. As as big of a continuity junkie as I am, I'm okay with changes if they're it, it, changing for quality. Quality quality is king. Oh, is that an episode title? No, <laughs> those context is for kings or oh. the con- <laughs> conscience of the king, but. You know, with the reference to the Telosians, the aliens from the cage... Yep. We they... see them in the in the preview for next week. They're yep. the, the big brain-looking people on Talos yep. 4. Classic Trek aliens. Um, I did wonder if, like, the show was risking, like, getting a little too incestuous by having them happen to run into the aliens who will play such a big role later in his life. Um, because this is not actually... I mean, this is not the actual episode is not about to take place, is it? No, no like, that's like that's he's yeah. on the Enterprise and stuff when that the, happens. The events of the cage have already happened before this. Oh, so that okay, okay, yeah, um, yeah. My timeline was a little wonky on that. So, so Spock's already been there, too, yeah. So, yeah, Spock and Pike have both uh-huh. already been to Talos Four before this episode. Did you have a thought, Anna? Yeah, I was. I was actually going to ask if we knew how much time was supposed to pass between the events from the original series and now. Yeah. So I guess like. But from this kind of answered it. Right. Well, I guess like Pike Pike's episode, you know, his the failed pilot uh was what, a few years before? 2254. Okay. And right now the current year in Disco is Well, the the first season was 2256. Okay. Then there was a 6-month jump when Burnham was in prison. Yep. Then there is at least another month before the Discovery went to the Terran universe. Then they jumped forward 9 months when they came back. 
So they're either in the year 2258 or 2259. Okay. And uh, still a few years before Kirk. And then the uh, Kirk-Spock-McCoy era will begin in 65 or 66, depending on who you ask. Okay. So yeah, we're still still a few years before that, but we're also after a few we're a few years after when Pike and Spock went to Talos for. I guess the main thing is they're about to meet those old big brain aliens that can create illusions. <laughs> yeah, and I'm I'm curious how they're gonna gonna use them. Yeah, I mean, is it possible the red bursts are illusions? Didn't they like have almost illusory qualities? That is possible. Super hard to analyze. Well, we know we know that like the red angels are like doing specific right. things. That's clearly a like, real like an actual thing. But like, I wonder, like, the Telosians, the... could they in some way be helping? Or oh, another thing we need to talk about if, while we're, we're theory crafting, mm-hmm. and Anna, this is going to be like from an episode that uh, I'm guessing you're not familiar with because it's from the original series. But the what Dave, what we saw last week with the Bayul. Their ships look like the um, one of their yeah. ships, but the watchful eyes. They look like oh, the right. monolith. Yeah. From... You, I, I yeah, I mentioned it. I was gonna say, okay. I've heard you speak on it, so I'm relatively familiar. So we might have a tie-in to the Preservers, who are a race that it was mentioned but never seen in the original right. series. These are definitely some upper-tier aliens. These are not just like these aren't like the Gorns throwing rocks. These are aliens with kind of high-level capabilities. So, yeah, there, there's there definitely seems to be uh, an intent going on there and linking some of the not godlike aliens, but like I say getting up there okay so what did y'all think about the other characters this week we had like on the discovery we had stamets and tilly doing some sciencey stuff to to rescue tyler and pike Mm -hmm. thoughts uh stamets husband is alive and we didn't do anything with that this episode which was kind of strange um yeah no no dr colbert i mean i guess it's like two in a row that yeah, I he guess so. I mean, I guess you, it's fairly easy to say he needs some downtime. There you <laughs> yeah. go. I mean, we, we did see him briefly last week. He has week, to grow out but... the beard again. I miss, <laughs> yeah. the, uh, I miss the five o'clock he, shadow. He looks weird clean shaven. Yeah. He does. Such a neat, neat beard. But that's how, that's how so you get... So well groomed. That's how you get recreated by a biological transporter from a, a, mus, from a mushroom realm. They don't know shit about facial hair. <laughs> um... So uh, what I'm wondering, well, actually, I felt like the, the the thing that where Stamets is like not affected by like temporal stuff, that seems to me like a plot point that they just dropped that is going to be a huge thing in like any future episodes. Yeah. Like, there's yeah. a guy who can probably have weird anomalous abilities anytime they do weird timey wimey stuff, and I, that's kind of fun. That's it's like he's got a power now. Like, yeah. I mean, he had a power before, but it's a power that like outside of the mycelial drive itself. I worry that that might give them, like, like they might rely on him mm-hmm. too much. Because, I mean, you're right, he is kind of the key to solving any temporal problem. Right. And he might start to feel like a one-trick pony, especially because they're not spore jumping Well, I suppose much. they yeah. could also have it where, yeah, he, like, I have a feeling he, like, they might show up in, like, some place and he's like, I sense some sort of temporal anomaly, the way Troy would, with uh, weird emotions and stuff. Uh, but I can also see it like backfiring. Like if they they can, I'm sure they, there's interesting stories to come up with where he's like more prone to some sort of problem, or you know he's I don't know like all the time travel that happens with Kirk and those guys ends up physically causing pain to him, or who knows? It might just be them trying to figure out something else to do with him since he's not going to be doing this the spore drive anymore. I mean, he's clearly he seems like a big theorist kind of science guy. Yeah, but his his. His specialty is real specific. His specialty is space mushrooms. He is yeah. an astromycologist. Yeah. 
Maybe they should have just repurposed what the uh, spore drive can kind of do. But yeah, I think you're. I think you might be onto something though. That this uh, he will become their science guy who can also do weird temporal stuff. Are they, they going to give him like powers? I like. I'm going to rewind that moment in time so you don't die. Maybe he turns into the traveler and then goes and hangs out with Wesley Crusher in the next generation. Uh oh, it's all coming full circle. <laughs> but um, let's talk about Tilly for a little bit. They definitely this season have been leaning into the make the fans happy type of, of attitude. And I guess because people got mad that she said the fuck word in season one. <laughs> Why so, were they mad about that? It was adorable. Because some people feared change. And there were people in the original series who got mad when Captain Kirk says, let's get the hell out of here in the episode <laughs> City on the Edge of Forever. I don't, it's true. I don't like when people blaspheme. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, so now now Tilly says uh, things like freaking amazing and what the frick. That was one of the things that I thought was like, I don't know, like really heavy handed. Like they were like, look, we're not doing it anymore. Please don't hate us. I, you know, I guess I just thought they were just kind of being cute and referencing that. But I, 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 I was not, I was enough in the moment that I didn't kind of think that this was actually them back, uh, backpedaling. I guess it was though. That's, that's kind of too bad. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we have noticed this season in some ways is more classic Trek-like. Yeah, and that's a, a good thing most of the time. But I also, I don't want to lose some of the things I like about Discovery in season one. When it was yeah. like a little bit more weird and had a unique identity. It was a little bit more bold and ambitious. You had a fucking mushroom ship. Yeah. <laughs> I like, mean, like, that's... What if what if Spot goes on a swearing tear and just nobody is ready for him? He just turns <laughs> the screen blue... Well, well we, I don't think they're going to do that. Well, we did get with Spock. What was added to the continuity now is, is we know he was bullied not only because he was half human, but because he had a learning disability. Space dyslexia. Space dyslexia. Yeah. yeah. Not they, the official term, but clearly the official term. Yeah. Well, they, they really spell it out to you that he has dyslexia. They, Five times. And it's ridiculous. You know, it's funny. It's like, I, I feel like I'm, I'm like always like with any mystery on a TV show, I'm like a super doofus. And, like, I don't pick up on the clues or anything like that. So I definitely, I noticed that they said that, but I didn't okay. notice that they were kind of hitting you over the head with a little bit. The the first so, conversation w between Amanda and Sarek, when they're in the cave, when she says, Spock had a hard time learning to read. He had a, he had a hard time, you know, understanding writing. And it was something that he inherited from me. It's, you know, the Vulcans call it La, what is it? La, La Tak Tarai. Sure. It's like, okay, when I was watching it the first time, I was like, okay, I understand they're talking about, like, dyslexia. And right. it's cool. Like, they're not really, like, spelling it out or, like, beating you over the head with it. But then they bring it up, like, five more times after yeah. that. Yeah, it was uh, it was probably a heavy-handed way to set up a mystery, but I'm a dumb person. So I was just like, when they did that, I'm like, what? The numbers are reversed? <laughs> okay, not quite like that. But um, I, I knew that they were going to use it for something. Um, the first time that they had that conversation, though, in the cave that I was just mentioning... I'm sure you understood it at that point, though, right? Right, right. So, yeah, they, they didn't... Like, you... like I think your, I just didn't know what that... they were going to do with it. <laughs> like, I, I don't like sort of... Uh, it, it is a little goofy that, like, the big reveal is just a simple six-digit number is just flippy. I was gonna say, yeah, like, I, gonna... I couldn't believe that no one had thought about just... That's like, uh, that's like a first that. video puzzle in a video game. Yeah. When you're kind yeah. of just, they're like, this game will have puzzles, and here's how they basically work. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's a little like that, so... They probably should up their game a little bit on that. 
I almost wish that they had just like hit you with it in a very blunt way. Like just Spock had dyslexia in school. Like I would have probably liked that a lot more because to the point where it felt like almost everything that Amanda, her name is Amanda, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Almost everything that Amanda had like said was Spock has dyslexia. It was like, (laughs) it felt like that was her only dialogue option and it made her as an actress kind of look lame, I guess. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. You felt like she didn't really have a lot to do other than throw out this information several times. Yeah. And and speaking of that, like the dialogue in that cave between Sarek and Amanda, it felt really stilted and mm-hmm. unnatural. And the well, that was my least favorite part of the episode. You know, it's interesting. I actually I kind of like the dialogue because generally she has been the I guess I'd say acquiescent wife in most episodes I've seen, kind of keeping the family peace a little bit, but sort of deferring to him and I I, I did feel like that was a bit of a, you know, a vestige of the sixties and the, you know, sort of ingrained misogyny of the time so i liked seeing her stand up to him but so that's nice. that's a plot thing that's not like a dialogue thing i i enjoy that being in the plot right. but i don't like the execution you just of didn't the like dialogue. how it was executed mm-hmm. fair enough i however do love the moment at the end of the scene where Sarek is like no michael you have to do this you have to follow the rules and take them in because i don't want you to get in trouble again when he when his emotion peeks through and he says like right. i can't i'm First unprepared I was just like, to lose man, he's like a kids. big narc <laughs> yeah but that's that's how you should play a Vulcan, where you are super stoic and serious, and then just show there's, like a hint of the emotion. There's of your moments character where it starts to frame. Berries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's that's how Vulcans should be written and how they should be played. Yeah, I um, generally like that. Oh, I think that like if you're looking for an explanation for why that like argument felt so like almost awkward, is that like I'm trying to imagine. Like, having an argument about something that I'm passionate about with someone who looks at everything through a completely logical lens. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't imagine trying to, like, like eat my desire to shake them while they wipe <laughs> their finger at me. Yeah. So, that, I don't know. It seems like a... No, you can imagine, like, a protective mother who's looking yeah. out for their son. And that that does kind of make sense that she's trying to be, like, cool, calm, collective, Vulcan society person... Yeah, especially because they do mention it that, like, she's very displaced from her natural element because right. he was unwilling to do so. That, like, I mean, I guess probably this has probably been bubbling for a while, if that makes any sense. Yeah, she's the one who chose to be, okay, I'll be the fish out of water and go live with you, my husband, live on your world, and I'll, I'll, uh, a, a, what's the, uh, I'll assimilate to your culture. Yeah. You when her son's life was at stake, she, it kind of it bubbles up. Yeah. Yeah. So... You got anything on that, Trent? The whole Section 31 thing seemed unnecessary, I think. Like, we start at the beginning of the episode, Spock's a fugitive on the run, and he meets um, Michael, and then a bunch of stuff happens, and then Spock is a fugitive on the run with Michael. It feels like there was, like, a... I don't know. So, Sarek telling Michael that you gotta turn him into Section 31, he could have just been, like... Or, yeah. or maybe they could have just ignored him and like they just gone off on, yeah, like they, on the, their own. The end result would have been exactly the same had that whole sequence yeah. never have taken place. Um, but um, that's that's really all I had on that. I mean, it that's did, a good point, it, though. It, it were, did pave the way for um, 
What were you saying you think could be cut? The Sarek stuff could have been cut? Well, no, not the Sarek stuff. They take him to Section 31, and then they escape Section 31. The entire Section 31 shit could have been cut out of the episode. Right. And we would have wound up in the same position. It did. Although, it it did set up the big twist of the episode, which we haven't even really discussed, uh, with Section 31 and Michael. Right. Before you say that, though, it also set up a fight between... George Ow and, and, and Burnham. So we got to see Michelle Yeoh fight again. Yeah. Uh, even it's if never, she was yeah. like, even if, if she was not throwing her all into it. And it showed that she has some sort of faith in Burnham and, you yeah. know, a like protective maternal, whatever her ultimate goal is. She seems to be trying to look out for her. Or is she? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. We don't know if we can... Maybe when she said that, oh yeah, they're going to kill Spock, extracting his memories. Like, that could have been the lie. We don't know. I was going to say, she obviously has some ulterior motive. She wants to be the one in charge of Section 31, but... In spite of that, that like the the dialogue between them was one of my favorite parts of the episode. Just the like, and what are you doing this out of the goodness of your heart? And yeah. she's like, No, I'm doing it out of the goodness of your heart because yeah, I that's know a good that line. It's going to be damaging to you if I don't. And whether or not that's like true, I still think it's it's a good moment for the both of them and probably emotionally cathartic for Michael. Michelle Yeoh is good at conveying. I think that um, I'm looking out for you, or at least you want to feel what think I am because like she has a. She's charismatic and, yeah. and, mm-hmm. and, and interesting. So you like want to believe her. I think the same way probably Burnham wants to believe her. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I like that. And I, you know, I mean, that's a, it's a kind of a classic trope. A, you got to rough me up so that we know that there was a fight here, you know, before he breaks somebody out. I did think it was, a, yeah, it was a little almost comic booky in the pejorative sense of like, they were going to like brain wipe him or whatever. Yeah. Was a, that was just a little bit silly. Well, we do know that the and he was acting so like no, we're just doing this. We just want to help Spock, like <laughs> Leland or whatever. And I'm like, wow, he sure doesn't sound like I thought he was before because yeah, he, he turned over a new leaf. He sold the warmth that both the actor and the character. Right, he did. He did. I'm just like, yeah. it's I, I, maybe it's just the, the the dress in evil black and <laughs> stuff like that. And then when they're suddenly nice, you're like, wait. You're evil. We we should talk about the we should talk about like the bombshell that Georgia okay. drops. Yeah. yeah, that she is pretty much going to be running the show on that Section Thirty One ship. It seems like because she's we we know from before that she likes to dig up dirt on Leyland. Yeah, and now she says that she'll reveal to Burnham that he is responsible for the death of her parents. So what what do you what do y'all think of that? Uh, flashback for me: How her parents die? There was a Klingon terror attack on the colony of Doctori Alpha, and as she describes it, she hid in like the the cabinet while the Klingons like went in their kitchen and raped her mother to death and murdered her dad, and then sat down like ate like their family meal yeah, that they were going to eat. Just ate their dinner. It's messed up. Yeah, that's yeah. it's pretty but, fucked up. Yeah. yeah, literally one of the worst imaginable things for a kid to have to listen for, to from a a cabinet that yeah. they're hiding in. I mean, let's be honest, she was probably, like, playing her Nintendo Switch or something during that. <laughs> I, know how, I know how the millennials are, the space millennials. Yes, yeah, so um, I assume there has to be that he was... Some espionage happened and he orchestrated it is the only thing I can think sure, of. Sure, they pull a lot of strings. Yeah. Alternatively, maybe it wasn't, like, a deliberate thing that he did. Maybe he dropped the ball on some intel and it's less of a, like, you mm-hmm. did it and more of an it's your fault. Like, he didn't, he didn't intervene, like... Yeah, we like, like this is like George Bush with like the memo on his desk, yeah. like uh, Bin Laden attack on the World Trade Center imminent. Yeah, if, exactly. Yeah, we haven't gotten inside Leland's head before, so we don't know yet what his motivations are and like how 
you know, wh- whether he has altru- how much altruism is mixed in with his kind of mm. any means necessary style. What if it's like the FDR conspiracy theory where he lets Pearl Harbor happen so he can go to war type of thing? He could have prevented the attack and chose not to. Could be. But yeah, I mean, there's mysteries that are going to keep me plugged in on the show because I want to see these things resolved. And are setting up section the Section 31 show. Yes, which it looks like Giorgio is trying to take over Section 31. And what we know from, from later shows in, in Deep Space Nine, Section 31 is very different. People don't know about it, and it's much more mysterious. So I'm wondering what's going to happen if, if they're right. going Either to... Either, like, she takes it underground or, like, the the kind of weird notion we talked about was, like, well, what if she decides to dismantle it? You know, she has some sort of come-to-Jesus moment and decides that it's too corrupt she, for her she somehow. She eats people. She ate people in the mirror universe. Mm-hmm. I, I, that character can't be redeemed. What if really? she had never seen... Yeah, she, what if she had yeah. never seen a counterexample and now she has? It's like yeah. if you grew up with, mm-hmm. with gang members... She has to die. Life. She has to die in the process. I, I can't have her like stay alive as a hero. You know, because we like to always take this back to X-Men comics. <laughs> um, when Phoenix destroyed a planet and, and yes. X-Men started to became... For those who don't know, we, we throw in many X-Men references <laughs> on Text Trek. Haven't done it in a while. It's very but... influential. When Phoenix became Dark Phoenix, she destroyed a whole star system, like a star, and destroyed an alien world. And originally, they, uh, the, the writers just wanted to have the X-Men, like, sort of forgive her for it. And kind of, like, Xavier was going to go in and, and put some dampers up so that she could never, like, she would, she would sort of get, like, a psychic lobotomy or whatever, and but be, be safe. But the editor-in-chief was like, no, she has to die. And that's the story they ended up doing. They made it so she self-sacrificed and did it of her own volition. But which was the correct call? But, so you you're the Jim Shooter in this. You know, Jim Shooter was hated <laughs> hated by the creators. Hey, Marvel Comics were the best they've ever been when he was in control. It is he, true. But yeah, he sounds it like the true. worst boss anyone's ever had. But uh, <clears throat> but no, like people like, get mad when we talk about comics too much. All right, like just edit all that out. These Star Trek nerds don't care about the edit funny it books. All out. Nobody likes X Men. Clearly, it's never been popular. I have an unpopular opinion. Okay. I think that um, seeing um, good Michael from our universe makes Mirror Universe Georgia want to be better. Mm. I think that when she's like, I'll tell uh, Michael about what you did, Leland, I think that she's not actually going to do it. I think that she cares about Michael too much to open up that wound again. Mm. We'll, we'll see. I yeah. think that's a very Trek thematic, thematically Trek uh, optim- tre- optimistic Federation idea. It's, it's hard to come back from eating people. Right, but do you do you believe in? Uh, here's a question: do you, Do you believe in any rehabilitation? And if not, shouldn't all would, wouldn't you be for the death penalty for criminals for any sort of really bad crime? I mean, it by what a Star Trek conversation! Those standards. What is this a next generation I, episode? I want I, I'd want Giorgio to be like in prison for like twenty or thirty years and actually go through like a believable rehabilitation. It wouldn't be dramatic. It wouldn't be good TV. I don't know. We'll see. If the execution is is good enough, they might be able to pull it off. But I'm skeptical. I do think you can't take a character who uh, who has eaten her enemies and turn on a dime. You know, her character, her growth will have to be a little bit pretty organic. <laughs> and at some point, I think there's gonna have, there may have to be some sort of. She's going to have to, I think, um, I don't know, get her due. You know, really confront herself and not just decide. To be a better person and it's done or something. My preference would be that they don't try to redeem her. And um, what, what do you I'm have? on Team Redemption. 
So am I, but also consider that, like, especially with this season, I feel like they've, like, blunted a lot of the edges from the first season. And, like, I don't know if they'll bring up her, like, I mean, obviously she is the empress of an evil empire, but... But like, they, the like, haven't time, brought up the atrocities? Yeah, yeah, they haven't mentioned, like, oh, yeah, she was extremely racist. Right, that or they, they never didn't show her, like, again. with Section 31 torturing somebody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They, In fact, they've mostly shown her doing things that may be helpful. Uh, exactly. to, to burn them. Like, that's interesting because that could just be somewhat blunting the edges of the first season. Yeah, it could be that they they just try to back off from that. Type right. Of we stuff need the show to. We need but... her to be the lead on the show, and we can't have the lead on the show be a genocidal maniac. But uh, another possibility is that how Section Thirty One gets the becomes the more secretive mm-hmm. agency that it is later. Maybe they do something like the Red Angel technology or something where it's like they erase people's memories, like like galaxy wide. Like right. They, that's kind of like uh, like the Men in Black thing where they can erase people's memories. Like they do that like wide scale. <laughs> hey, everybody in the galaxy, look at this. <laughs> Which it doesn't really seem like a Star Trek idea because it's such like a big giant magic wand to wave around. It feels like something. More... I don't mean to bring up comics again. Well, I was going to say that's like, how identities sometimes get put back in the bottle. Like somebody like Doctor Strange or yes. something will be like. Everyone knows who Spider-Man is, and he makes a deal with the devil, and he gets divorced. Right. It's um, a crazy thing. I'm still bitter about that. Uh, also, like, uh, I think, like, Angel did this when it... Well, I don't want to spoil the Angel show, but, like, a character from that show gets, like, deleted from everyone's memories. Um, Doctor Who has done stuff like that before, like, uh, with companions who forgot the Doctor, or the Doctor forgetting companions. Oh. The fact that they... Uh, high-level aliens are involved in this, uh, I could even see that happening, like, this season. Like, something happens during the course of all these events. It's not the main point of them, but it's some side thing. They're able to, like, take the Telosians or something like that. And the Telosians are like, yes, we will, under duress, project this thing out, which will span the whole galaxy and make everyone forget that Section 31 existed. Oh, yeah, they could use them, huh? um, Uh, That's pretty, pretty high speculation for something that may just be... They just wanted Section 31 to be more open because that's the story they wanted to tell. Um, but if they are worried about continuity with DS9, ultimately, then yeah, either... According to Alex Kurtzman, he's like, yeah, we know Section 31 is different in well, other shows. Oh, he specifically so, is addressed. Yeah, that. so that was an interview with, like, I believe Digital Spy, okay. um, which, uh, that hadn't been brought to my attention until somewhat recently, but, so, he says he's gonna try to fix it, if he will or not, we'll, we will find out. Okay. Are there any other hot topics that anyone feels we need to address Spock wears tight leather pants at the end of this episode. Put up a put up a picture of it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah. So if, if you're watching this on incredible. on YouTube or Facebook, you will see Spock in some tight leather pants. That's all I've got. Also, the um, Michael and Spock with their just completely stupid matching childhood haircuts. Oh yeah, well, that's, that's just Vulcan um, con- conformity. Is that yeah? Couldn't you know, they conform weird, to something were, cool though? They were very puffy bowl cuts. Like, I feel like the Vulcans in, like, uh, say, the 09 movie, like, uh, were a little fa- more fashionably bowl cut. <laughs> we, we it's did. hard to have a fashionable bowl cut. I know, cut. but there is there is an incremental scale, as it turns out. What were you saying? I was going to say it would uh, make perfect sense for them to do the stereotypically Vulcan thing, since right. they are kind of outsiders and trying to fit yeah. in. But yeah. But it still looks stupid, and I hate it. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. You're just like, I don't like it. Well, uh... Dave, can I go ahead and uh, jump into the Easter eggs? Let's, let's do it. So there were a few in this episode. 
Uh, first, Michael mentions that Spock's shuttle disappeared in the Matara sector. Yep. You know that is the home of the Matara Nebula and will eventually become home to the Genesis planet. Yeah, it's and the climactic fight, you know, you know, battle scene at the end of Star Trek with Khan versus the Enterprise. And also in uh, Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. Uh, yeah, most right. of the movie takes place there. Yep, hmm. a popular destination, vacation destination <laughs> in the future. Um, with Spock uh, being kind of crazy and mumbling to himself, it's very similar to what we've seen Vulcans go through before sometimes. Sarek was doing a similar thing when he was having a mental breakdown of the next generation in the episode called Sarek. And also, uh, Tuvok on Star Trek Voyager went insane in an alternate future in the series finale, Endgame. So we've, we've seen... So Vulcan mumbling is a thing. Yeah, when they're like mumbling and they're kind of like ignoring everyone around them and it's it's uh, a, a weird thing that Vulcans do and they start going crazy. It's a nice little bit of continuity. We do have the numbers that Spock is reciting that turned out to be the coordinates reversed, but in the order he was saying them, they end with four and seven, which the magic Star Trek number is 47 that recurs frequently in every show. Their totemic number. Yeah. Also, there's a little bit of a, a Lost reference in there, I think. I know Lost had like some numbers and I think the first two. No, I didn't, uh, I didn't look for that. I should have noticed that. Yeah, the, the lost numbers are 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, and 42. These numbers, the first two, are uh, 8 and 4. So there, there is, they've, they've acknowledged Lost before in Discovery. Well, I'm, they should. I'm not, I'm not a fan of Lost, but I know that there, there's been some connection to recent Star Trek with some of the, some of the writers and J.J. Abrams and stuff mm-hmm. being affiliated with Lost. Also, uh, the the trick that Pike does on the shuttlecraft to release the plasma and ignite it mm-hmm. so that the Discovery can see them, that's the same trick that Spock does in Galileo 7 so the Enterprise can, can detect that shuttlecraft and rescue them. I did not remember that. That's cool. Hmm. That's like their survivalist episode. And then we have the the sacred crypt where Amanda was hiding Spock. Mm-hmm. Um, Sarek mentions the the Katra stones or Katra rocks. The yeah, yeah, Katra stones. I wasn't sure if that was just some Deus Ex Machina thing. Well, they were saying that that blocked like telepathic communication yeah. and helped hide Spock. But we we did in Star Trek 09, We saw the the Katra arc. Mm-hmm. Where I'm assuming they just store like the Katras of like dead Vulcans. Like Katra, if you don't know, that's kind of like the the Vulcan's soul. This is from the like... end, or for not the end, but the part where he's rescuing him while Vulcan is being destroyed. Is that where they 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 go to the in Star Trek 09, Yeah, yeah. But um, the yeah the Katra you know first established in Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan. But that's this is kind of like all, a Vulcan's like all their thoughts and memories and experience or like their soul. And we do know that like you can store those. Apparently, we we see that on Enterprise or they have. Uh, a Katra that is stored. Like so. an old, like, Hellman's mayo jar. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think that's what they use. It was like a, more like a... Space a, mayo jar? It was a space vase that breaks <laughs> yeah. to, like, release the Katra. <clears throat> but I'll call it a space vase. <laughs> I don't know if this should really count as Easter egg, but the computer says working on the shuttlecraft. Which oh, that's an old what, Star Trek-y yeah. kind of working. Well, that's pretty much um, all the Easter eggs. But of course, if I missed anything, be sure to let me know. I've got one fathery. Okay, what's your Easter egg? I don't know if this is an Easter egg, but like we talked about it, just that they, rather that they changed up the opening sequence a little bit and dropped a little bit more of the Red Angel 
uh, exosuit in there. Yeah. yeah, we have a different shot of the Red Angel in the opening from what we've seen before. This shows a lot more detail. It's that style where it looks like almost like a an artist's digital rendering kind of slowly kind of filling out. You know, it looks like yeah. almost like the, the underdrawing and then it forms up like a more three-dimensional image. And it looks like a suit more obviously now, right? Yeah, yeah. it looks more mechanical, whereas before it kind of looked uh, more organic because it was less mm-hmm. defined. Yeah. Uh, that's like Game of Thrones style, changing up their introduction. Thank you, Dave, for bringing that up. And if, again, any Easter eggs that we miss, be sure to let us know. And we'll give you credit for it. We'll give you a shout out. We'll read your feedback. Speaking of which, Dave has some audience feedback. It's that, the mailbag. And he's gonna he's gonna share. So <laughs> I think I think these comments are from YouTube. Okay. Yeah. I guess I don't have notes on where they came from. Uh, this is um, uh, so. First one I've got is from Stress Free K, uh, who had uh, I think was was uh, had a question for us previously or comments uh, last week. And I think this is talking about the previous episode that had to do with. Uh, the, the Saru uh, and his the, people... The Sound of Thunder. Yeah, Sound of Thunder. Saru and his people becoming uh, evolved and escaping the yoke of the Ba'ul. So there were some moral questions in there about, like, turning the... You know, clearly activating their evolution and uh, dropping the old threat ganglia. Yeah, we were debating if we thought that was the right choice for <clears throat> Captain Pike and the Discovery crew to make. Yeah, can you just do that? And, but we got a pretty convincing argument. So Stress Free K comes in and says... I like that you take a definitive stand, but I disagree wholeheartedly. Josh and John... Who's Josh and John? He's referencing the uh, the neutral zone guys that I didn't know about, but yeah, they had uh, another take on it where they compare it neutral to... Neutral zone guys like podcasters? I, I think so. I don't okay. know. I'm not really sure. All right, but let's I, just I, roll with it. Josh and John brought up Rwanda, and I felt the same way watching what was going on, because the Baal were curtailing their lifespans. That's still a form of genocide. This balance in quotes, allowed the Ba'ul to live rich and fulfilling lives and develop unfettered as a society, while the Kelpians were killed off before they could mature and fully realize their potential, and they were used as food. So uh, so the argument here is that it was a clear, like, moral imperative to to liberate them, Yeah, he does make a pretty good case. When you bring up Rwanda, that does kind of make it feel a little <laughs> bit more real. Or like, think about it, fathery. <laughs> yeah, he probably did need to take some action there. Uh, it goes on, uh, or she goes on, I actually don't know. Uh, Picard may not have may not have interfered because he got all bent out of shape when Worf's brother uh, kept trying to save a small population of people whose planet was dying. And since Sarana is that, yeah, the Saru's sister, Saru's sister mm-hmm. was equally appalled that her people were getting killed off unnecessarily, it's safe to assume the entire race would feel the same way. I don't know if you could base uh, an entire a pretty race's... big generalization. <laughs> Star Trek uh, does kind of tend to do that. Uh, you know, I guess you could argue she is. You know, she's essentially a highly placed figure as a priestess. Um, but, well, you know, I mean, there's a lot of assumptions that happen in Star Trek to make short little morality plays, but normally I wouldn't say, like, let's just trust this one priest. There could be, yeah, like, this one little so. Kelpian nihilist edgelord who's just like, <laughs> I want the entire world to die! <laughs> I hate everything! Kelpian edgelords, I love it. Stress K concludes, so instead of allowing the battle to destroy Saru's entire village, he freed the entire race. He had no idea the Ba'ul would have the capacity to kill them all. So yes, it would have been a bloodbath because uh, they couldn't target all the Ba'ul's missiles. But Pike did warn them if they tried to do some crazy shit, the entire Federation would be on their ass. The Federation had been playing footsie with the Ba'ul for too long and allowing their evil practices to flourish. Uh, I'm glad Pike took a stand. A lot more death could have resulted, uh, uh, but at some point, enough is enough. 
stress-free K, you might have convinced me, but I still think the episode could have benefited from just having some dialogue between some characters, just articulating some of these points that you're bringing up, and they could just talk about it and hammer it out a little bit. But like me and Dave frequently bring up, the the show is more obsessed with uh, high-speed, high-energy yeah. expedience and, and doesn't do the next-generation debates. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Doesn't always do that. The so uh, Serana, that's her name. Yes, yes. Serana. Um, sort of. She's not even a particularly high-ranking priest. Like I, I guess we don't. I don't. I don't know. I mean, like she's got one well, village. She communicates of, with all the well, other villages, right? Yeah, they they do establish like the priests are the ones who like keep the villages in communication with each mm-hmm. other. So. Like, it is a little weird for me that, like, she's not even, like, the Pope. She's, like, the preacher <laughs> at your local church making right. a decision for everyone on the planet. Right. But, I mean... But she's Saru's sister, and so we as the audience know she's extra trustworthy. I, I mean, that is... I hate fair. to say it, but that is, like, what how, how we're meant to, like, take it. You're right. Um, And, and yeah, it's like... I, I do think on Next Generation they would have got into that a little bit more. There would have been more... Uh, devil's advocating and, and discussion going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that does seem to be, I don't know if it's, would we call it a failing of discovery or is it just a different focus? No, yeah. I, I think it's just a different, different show with different objectives and a different style. Yeah. Um, let's move on. Uh, our second letter here is from Kyle Dennis, uh, who writes, I have a feeling the red angel is going to be former emperor George Ao from the future that has learned to be a legitimate good guy and is helping Michael and her family. So this goes back to our discussion earlier. Um, she's helping the Kelpians as well due to feeling guilty for how she <laughs> ate many of that species when she was in the Mary universe. Um, uh, they, they go on. Okay. Alternatively, she's mad at the Baul for cramping her style. They like, <laughs> they like jacked her favorite meals. So. Uh, yeah. That's true. That's true. I don't know. Like She could go down and, and it's like a ultimate buffet right now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but she's got got to get rid of the, all the people in line. First. I mean, they're still they're still there. The Kelpian's still alive for her to eat if she wants to. Yeah, she just mo- loses the most delicate. But they're part. all like scary and aggressive now. So yeah, now they... now she's like, do I have to eat the dart? <laughs> the darts in them? Oh yeah, because they don't have the they don't have yeah. The, it's the not a delicious threat gangly. They it's have not the ve- It's not the veal. It's like spike <laughs> veal. So, so it's continuing to talk about the possibly reformed uh, George Owl writes, we've seen a couple signs that she's softened somewhat from her time in the Prime Universe, so maybe she'll be using some future Section 31 tech to do some good. I'm probably wrong, but I can definitely see my theory being right. I mean, if they want Yo as the lead of Section 31 series, it would be better if she wasn't a mustache-twirling bad guy. Um, so, you know, we, I think we that's... We shall see. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, that was sort of what we touched on is like, are they are they softening the style a little bit to a launch a show and b to make this line up a little bit more with classic uh, TOS and TNG style? I I do hope that the swearing kind of returns. Yeah, that was yeah. nice. Because like uh, we talked about this at the time, they it was it was said not with anger but exuberance. Yeah, it was exciting. It was I mean really cute. Honestly, yeah, it was adorable. And, like, the, the bit where, like, Stamets, who's normally, like, a crusty bastard, just like, no, you're right, it is fucking awesome. Yeah. Like, that was just a cool moment. I agree, it was a human moment for both of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh... So bring, bring the swearing back. Yeah, that's our main... That's the If there's one message we're trying to deliver <laughs> with this podcast, first of all, it's a more debate about morality. We, we but, know... But, but, but just right under that is more swearing. We have reason to believe that Alex Kurtzman listens to us. What? So, so Alex... Just drop drop some f bombs. <laughs> yeah, Hashtag Picard what? show. Picard show. I want to hear Picard say the fuck word. 
And you know Patrick Stewart wants to. What were you saying? Hashtag let Telly say fuck. Yes. I like it. Let's get it trending. Um, anything else, Father? I believe that's it. But Dave and I shall return next week to discuss Star Trek Discovery Season 2, Episode 8, If Memory Serves. Right on. You so. you don't know? Is that the name of the episode? Or are you trying to remember? <laughs> that is the name of the episode. It's also the name of a play about a man remembering or misremembering his childhood. So maybe that uh, has Spock some, flashback some stuff. Spock stuff. Yeah. Okay. Looks like a good one. And until then, as always, live, live long and prosper, y'all. Thank all of you so much for checking out this installment of Text Trek. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, please be sure to like our YouTube videos and subscribe to our channel. Uh, Audio-only version of episodes are available at our website, www.text-trek.com. Uh, please check out our site, especially if you just want an audio-only podcast. Uh, we have that available for you. Y'all can also keep up with us online. You can follow us on Twitter, at TXTrek, or you can uh, check us out on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash text-trek. Uh, please, by all means, let us know what you think by dropping a comment anywhere you see fit. Uh, we definitely want to hear your feedback. Let us know what you liked and what you would like to see more of, what you would like to see differently going forward. If you want to email me directly, uh, go ahead. I can be reached at fatheryactual at text-trek.com. Thank all y'all again. Take care.